Great. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you this morning uh, again. Uh, as you can already work out, I'm not local. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that uh, I can at least be understood. I, I was joking with the last service, you know, Jeff told us that he was speaking in Chinese just in case you didn't catch that. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be speaking in English just in case you didn't catch it. <laughs> I did have somebody one time say, is, is your first language English? Because you do really good at it for, for someone who isn't. <laughs> so that's great. Thank you, Nate, for your warm welcome. Thank you. We've um, met quite a few months ago, and I appreciate the invitation and to Pastor Mark for opening up the pulpit for me to come and share. You know, Nate, just give a little bit of a background of the journey that we've been on as an organization, and me personally, um, which resulted in the book, which is available, as he mentioned, and, and a lot of the material I'm going to be sharing this morning is from that, but I, it will allow you to go much deeper. It's, don't think of it so much as a mission book as you would understand missions, but think of it as a book of really wrestling with what does it mean to follow God with all of your life. And as Nate said, that means it impacts most, if not all of us here this morning. Because so, so I don't know where you are in your mind. You come to and you hear it's the missions weekend or the missions couple of weekends. Uh, and for some of you, you may think, well, that mission thing is not for me. I don't fit. I don't feel called. I don't think I could do it even if I did feel called or if it was me. Uh, and, and you might have already, you know, reached for the off switch and think, this is for some others in this building, maybe a few. Uh, or it may impact me a little bit in my giving or my praying, but it's not really my life. I don't have to consider it too much. But I want you to stay with me, if you would, for the next 30 plus minutes, because I do believe, and this was something I had to come to my own it was a, a bit of a crisis of belief because I would have been in the camp as a pastor and as a mission leader where I preached messages that, that actually made people feel that they needed some sort of a special calling to step into the mission of God, that to step into serving God with all of your life in this full-time category meant you needed a very special calling. And actually, I went through a period where I had to repent of that and look back at scripture and actually look at what was going on in the world and realize actually the models that we have pr promoted over the last uh, 150, 200 years, actually maybe more recent than that, are not getting the job done. And, and the world was changing rapidly around us. And, and the models that were built for a yesteryear are not actually working in today's world. Accessibility has changed. You cannot get into most of the countries we want to go to with a missionary visa. And even if you do get in, your life, if it's very covert and very, very underground or on the edges of society, there's a, a degree of suspicion that we're realizing that and, and our, if our presence in a community is questionable, will our message not also be questionable? And so our thinking has changed as well. And then we realize that the number of unreached in the world are growing rapidly, that when we uh, if we look back 50, 60, 70 years, there was probably about 1.5 billion in the world that we would have classed are unreached or people that are outside of the access to the gospel who will be born, live, and die without, without ever hearing of Jesus. Well, that number is today 3 billion, and it's growing every day by 60,000. So we're going backwards in a sense in, in getting the job done of the Great Commission. 
And so our models are not keeping pace with the changing world. We need to rethink that. Our, our models are not keeping pace with the population growth. We need to rethink it in that context. But actually, my biggest aha, or, or the place where I had to repent the most was when I went back to Scripture and said, I think I got this a little wrong. That we had, in many ways, made our model very exclusive. And 99% of the body of Christ either didn't fit because we had said, if you want to join us, you must leave your job, come do this thing we call full-time mission, oh, and by the way, raise support to do it. And 99% said, either that doesn't fit who I am, or I don't feel called to that. And so I want to spend the rest of my time looking at what were some of those aha moments for me in Scripture that I believe speak to you this morning as well, if you're willing to open your heart and your mind to the Word of God and what God has to say to you as a follower of Jesus. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1, we already had it read to us in Chinese. <coughs> but it's a wonderful passage that, that really helps us begin to dive into this um, whole idea of uh, what I believe that the Bible has to say to us in, 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 as it regards to, do I have a place in this uh, world? The first thing I want to say, and this, this, I'm going to give you five uh, points, five truths that I, I realized. Actually, there's six. This first one is sort of for free. I'll throw it in at the beginning. But, but I realized that I had been living my life and even preaching it uh, often a message that, that, that allowed people to believe that, that there is the plan of God, there is the mission of God over here, and then there's all of our plans, all of my, our lives. And, and for me, I, I, the reality was for, for many years, I thought, well, I'm allowed to have my plan, and actually I'm supposed to build my plan, I'm supposed to you know, determine my career path, where I'll, what I'll study, what I'll do, my savings, my retirement, the house I buy, the cars I, I buy, the holiday homes, all of those things that we may set into our plan, say it'd be really nice. This would be the picture of my life that I would really like, and I'm going to now set my face towards that picture, and, and I, I believe it's a good picture for me and my family, my kids, my retirement fund, my college fund for the kids. Here we're going. Oh, and by the way, God, would you come and bless my plan? Would you come and be a part of my plan? Would you come and, and, and be a piece of this picture that I'm painting for my life? And somehow in the Western church, both in Northern Ireland and in the U.S., I see that that somehow was permitted. And in the missions world, we perpetuate it with a lot of our language. And I came to the conclusion as I went back to Scripture again, after studying theology for a long time, realized that, you know what? God doesn't want to be a part of our lives. That was never the plan, that somehow God would join his people in what they were doing. God's plan was always that his people would join him in what he's doing. That we are a part of his grand, glorious, eternal plan that was set in place before time began. And that we would, through our lives, join him in everything he was doing on the planet. And that is what I believe is the great plan of God that we were then uh, created for. And so I want to unpack that a little bit this morning with a few points that I want to, to bring out. Ephesians 1 verse 4, and we're going to look at our identity, your identity. Because we have to start with identity. 
If we start with purpose, if we start with our role, then what will happen is we will get it all mixed up. If you don't know who you are, it's hard to be who you are. If you have a crisis of identity, you will have a crisis of purpose. And I feel that for so many of us, that is where the problem lies. And when I say identity, I don't mean your personality. We're going to come to that later. When I say identity, I mean, who are you? Who does, not who are you based on what the world tells you, not who are you based on what your experience in life has caused you to believe about yourself, not who are you based on what Satan is trying to remind you of, of the failures in your life, but who are you based on who your creator says you are from the word of God? Because again, if we believe the wrong messages, we will start to act in the wrong way. If we believe the wrong messages, we will never be who we were created to be. I had a parrot. Not a pirate like Har Har pirate, a pirate that actually, you know, the, the flying time. I realized after talking about accent one time that, that uh, <laughs> it was actually, I was with Francis Chan in a, a gathering and he was sitting in the back and Andrew had a pirate? What was he doing with a pirate? <laughs> pirate. And it was a yellow-naped Amazon pirate and he... Um, he, he was hand-raised by a lady from North Carolina. Really interesting, because he spoke like a lady from North Carolina. <laughs> in an Irish home. It doesn't get any better than that. And so, you know, he would roar at the top of his voice at our children when they were small, as they were running around the house. He had all sorts of instructions for them. But there was something I wanted to tell you about Rudy, and that is this. He would, because he was hand-raised by this lady from North Carolina, he had a human him imprint, right? which left him that he didn't know he could fly. Mess, critical messages that would have happened if he had been brought up by a mother pirate and a father pirate that would have shown him what he should do, stepping out of a nest and flying, he never had those. Even though his wings were never clipped, they were, his wings were never broken, he had fully feathered wings, he never could fly. And I tried to teach him how to fly, but I couldn't because I'm not that good at it myself. And so Rudy would literally climb down this perch in the kitchen. We never put him in a cage because he wasn't going anywhere, really, until we found out he, he could climb down this perch and he would walk around on the floor. Now, if you've ever seen a parrot walking around, it's not the prettiest sight because they weren't designed to spend a lot of time on the ground. It was either in a tree or flying. And so the big toes would trip over each other and he would waddle around like, like a, uh, just somebody, something that wasn't supposed to be there. And... Uh, that was how he spent his life. Now, we don't have Rudy anymore. anymore. He ate the furniture, so my wife decided Rudy, we didn't kill him. He, we put him in another home. <laughs> Maybe they killed him. I don't know. Um, he was really destructive. But the messages that were missing in Rudy's mind caused Rudy to live at a state and status and in a way that was way below what he was created to do. And that can happen to us as the people of God, as the created people of God, because we've either believed a message that we shouldn't have believed or we're missing a message that we should have known. And so we start to live our lives and they're not looking the way they were intended to look. What does Paul say about who we are, our identity? Ephesians 1.4, let me read it in English this time. And he chose us to be his very own. He being God chose us, that being us, to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Now, I want you to see this because this is critical. God, before time began, before he did anything else and before they did anything else, it's God the Father, Son, and Spirit, as we find out in Genesis 1. 
perfect in every way, complete in every way. They didn't need a bunch of people to come into existence to, to sing praises to them and tell them how wonderful they are. They were complete in all they needed and all they were. But they decided before they did anything else that they wanted a people for themselves. A people, not simply for themselves, but a people that could get to experience who they were, who God is in all of their glory. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. This is what Paul says, how God sees us. Holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. So Paul's saying that through Christ, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through this sacrifice that was paid for us, we now are able to come into relationship with God. Yes, this was the original intent of the creator before time began. Sin disrupted it, but Jesus restored and redeemed it back to its original intent. And now we have this opportunity to be adopted into the family of God, seen as his children, seen as his loved ones, seen as holy in his sight through Jesus, blameless. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. Do you hear that? Maybe there's somebody in here this morning who's struggling with loving themselves because of that failure, because of that experience, because of what somebody's done to you, because of what you've allowed the world, the messages that have infused into your mind, and you don't measure up. But your creator... He says this, the same love I have for Jesus, I have for you. And this unfolding plan gives him great pleasure. God takes great delight in loving his people. That's our identity. And if we can start there as a people of God and say, God, I'm, I don't know if I'm here right now. I don't know if I'm there right now because the scars are so fresh, because the experience is so fresh. But I want to step further into understanding what it means to be loved by you, to be holy because you say I'm holy, to be seen with unstained innocence because that's who you say I am. And as we start to understand that identity, that new identity, the identity of a new creation, then, oh boy, if the people of God can embrace that and we step out as that new creation, the old is gone. Yes, we're still struggling with some of those things, but we, God now sees us in this new creation. Look and feel. If we can step into that, what difference is it going to make in the world if we start to believe who we really are and then live accordingly? I need to keep moving. Secondly, your purpose. Paul goes on in Ephesians 1, when you read down, we didn't get to read it this morning, but he says that, that there is a purpose that comes with your identity. You see, I find that in life so often uh, we try to determine our own purpose. We think that it's our part to play, just like I shared at the beginning, that we, we, should, be, we should spend a lot of time thinking through what's my purpose in life. Stop. It's not our job. No thing that was ever created gets to determine its purpose. Everything that was ever created was created for a purpose. That's why it was created, right? Same with us. 
God, our creator, determined our purpose. God, our creator, determines our purpose, declared our purpose over us as his creation. So what is that purpose? Well, Paul tells us, I don't know if you ever realized this, with all of the books that have been written, all the searching that is done, that actually our purpose is declared and determined, determined by God and declared in the scriptures. Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, through our union with Christ, we have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. That's speaking back to identity. Through Jesus, we are now the inheritance of God. We are now his children. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny. He gave us our destiny. So what is it, Paul? What's our purpose? Paul goes on to say that we would fulfill the plan of God. Not our plan, God's plan. Who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. So get this, and I don't have time to unpack this, but it's God's plan, and he's going to make it happen. Now, we can chase our own little plans, but that's not what God's about. God is about his plan. That's why I believe Paul can say in Romans 8, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his plan, his purposes. When we wrap our life around the purpose of God, it's going to work. That doesn't mean things won't go bad, go wrong, and all the rest of it, but we know at the end, because we go to the back of the book, we realize the plan's going to work. The plan's going to happen. God's plan is going to happen. And if we wrap our life around that, then it's going to happen. I digress. In verse 12, Paul says, God's purpose, so he's going to get to it. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. Here's the purpose. Created to be in relationship with God as his child. That's our identity. And with that identity comes this purpose, Paul says, that our lives would be for the praise and glory of God. In other words, as we lived out our identity, everything we do, everything that is done by us, every aspect of our life, as Paul says in other verses of Scripture, is done for the glory of God, and that's our purpose. And he goes further down to make sure that the Gentiles realize it's for them as well. He said, now you Gentiles also have heard the truth, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So Paul takes a whole chapter to lay this out. Peter says it in one verse that I love. And you, many of you know this verse in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you, he talks about the way we used to live. Stop doing that. He said, but you, those of us who belong to Christ, he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, the King James puts it, a people belonging to God, that you, purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. And Peter is not simply talking about what we just did in the last 30 minutes by singing, declaring the praises. When you step back into that early Judeo-Christian mindset, coming from the Hebrew way of thinking, declaring his praises, bringing him glory was something you did with every aspect of your life. It wasn't separated out like we have in so many cases today. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That is your purpose. That is why you exist. And if you try to wrap your life around your own little picture, your own little plan, you will miss the very reason for your existence. And so if this is true, if this is true that, that God created a people to be in relationship with him, that he would make his, his children, 
That would be our identity. And he made them for his glory, that everything they would do, they would reflect him back to the world, reflecting his glory. If this is true, then I had to come to the conclusion that that is not something you have to be wait to be, to be called into. That's not something you sit around and wait for flashing lights, burning bushes, uh, wet fleeces on the ground in the morning. It's not something you wait around to say, God, are you calling me into your purpose, into your plan? No, no. It's something you were made for. Do you hear that? Stepping into the purpose of God for your life is not something you wait to be called to. It's something you were made for. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the purpose of God, that is in everything you do, whether you're a doctor, an engineer, a plumber, an electrician, a teacher, whatever you are, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Let me move on. So your identity, child of God, your purpose, the glory of God, your role. I love this. So Paul continues on in Ephesians. Remember, there's no chapters and verses in that early letter. He continues on and we come to what we know as chapter 2, verse 10. And he says this, you are, the ma- you are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So remember, Paul is telling us in Ephesians 1, what are the things that God decided before time began? Your identity, your purpose. And now he's saying, actually, he also planned the good things that he wanted you to do. And I believe that Paul is both speaking here to the people of God, that would be College Park Church in Indianapolis, what he, the good deeds that he would have for you as a church to accomplish together, that as people looked on, as people looked into this community, they would go, wow those people are different. Wow, the the way those people love each other, the way those people live in the community is so different. And we're attracted into that because the glory of God's attractive. But I also believe it speaks to us as individuals that God has created us as individuals as masterpieces. And if you hang around and ask enough questions, you will get this also. And, and in my book, I take a whole chapter to go through the acronym SHAPE that Eric Reese came up with and give me permission to use. S-H-A-P-E. God uniquely shaped every one of us as his masterpiece. Why? To reflect his glory back to the world as his children. That's our purpose and our identity. And, and so SHAPE is spiritual gifts. We all have them. Paul, Paul says that. Peter tells us that. To every, I think it's actually in your program that everyone has been given gifts, therefore use them. Uh, for the good of others. So we all have spiritual gifts. Why? For our purpose, the glory of God. That others would see God in and through our lives. H is heart or passion. Now, the spiritual gift part we've been pretty good at in the church. We've promoted that. We've talked about that. We all have to try and work out what our gifts are. We test, we try, we experience it from others. But the passions things, that's where we've been a little looser. (laughs) If you and maybe even to the point, and I've been guilty of this, is that those are the things hmm, that maybe you want to leave those on the altar and sacrifice those and if you want to follow Jesus because that's you. But if everything is, was created by him, through him, for him, then could it be that those passions are also from him? Now, yes, Satan wants to use them for his good and his ends, But in Christ, we are a new creation. And everything comes from God. Those passions then, I believe, have been restored and 
are now able to be used for his glory. So some of you are passionate about sports, some are passionate about business, some are passionate about building things, some of you are passionate about working with kids, some of you are passionate about working with youth, the marginalized. We all have different passions. And I believe we should be paying attention to those because if they're from God, then they're from God for a reason, and that is that they should start to dictate, determine, or to point to how he wants us to live out our life and the good deeds he wants us to do. And let me tell you this, if you're passionate about something, you don't notice the time going by, and it's not much of an effort to do it. You ever notice that? And I believe we have to pay attention to that. I wish I had much more time to unpack this whole thing, but A is abilities, natural abilities. And again, we used to say, oh, that's, that's of you. You need to, if you're an engineer, you need to leave that behind. Come, come to us over here and the spiritual thing called full-time missions, come and do it. But what if God's masterpiece in that person was to make him an engineer? Why did he make him an engineer? There's only one purpose, his glory. And could it be that God wants to use that engineer to be a, an engineer that through his engineering work reflects his glory to the people around him or her? Or that doctor, that nurse, that plumber, that teacher, whatever you, that vocation is. That through that, he can be glorified by excellent work by that engineer having an excellent attitude, by that engineer displaying the fruits of the Spirit in their workplace so that people see something different in that person and are pointed to God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds. Not hear your good words, although there's a place for words, but they will see your good deeds and honor God. Paul and Peter say it's very similarly. Live your life quietly among the unbelievers, and even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and honor God. And I believe this is something we've missed. Somehow we feel that this is the place that people need to hear and see God. Somehow we've, we've confined a lot of what we call as ministry to the concrete boxes on Sunday or delegated to a few people we call missionaries and pastors when the reality is God's plan from the beginning was all of his children going out there as masterpieces in the world, doing what he created them to do, and through that reflecting glory back to the world so that people see something different in our lives, see an alternative way of thinking, an alternative way of behaving, an alternative way of working, and go, what is the reason for the way you're living your life? What is the reason for that hope, that peace, that joy I obviously see in your life? And then we're ready to give that hope, give that reason, as Peter tells us. And so as we step out from, this is not the place. Actually, Paul tells us, this is not the place where ministry gets done. This is the place where equipping for ministry gets done. Paul tells us that it's not the job of a few to go do the work of the ministry. It's the job of the few to equip the many to do, go do the work of the ministry. And that means it's going to be out there in the marketplaces of the world, the primary place of mission. So I need to finish the shape Spiritual gifts, heart or passion, abilities, personality, and experience. We've all different personalities. Pay attention to that. It's really important. If you are an introvert who's quite shy, probably sales is not your calling in life. <laughs> if you're an extrovert who loves to be around people all the time, working in a laboratory will kill you. And it's amazing how few people understand this. 
that these are things that will dictate the type of job we should be in because we don't want to be a grumpy person because grumpy people have a hard time pointing people to the glory of God. God can work it, and I know in the midst of that, but I tell you, what if every follower of Jesus could understand, well, what is the way God has made? What are the good deeds he wants me to do? And then step into that understanding and, and turn up to work going, I love work. I love being here because this is who God has made me to be, and I'm here for a purpose way bigger than the paycheck at the end of the week. Your commission, your identity, your purpose, your role, and be very careful you don't get your role mixed up with your identity or your purpose. Your purpose in life, if you're a doctor, is not to be a doctor. Your purpose in life, to be a in life is not to be a plumber, an electrician, or a teacher. You're, that's your role. And when we mix up our role and our purpose, what happens is we start to live for ourselves. We make us our purpose. Secondly, don't get your role and your identity mixed up. And this is one thing all of us, including mission leaders and pastors, or, or leaders can often make this mistake. And what happens whenever that role is changed? Somebody comes in and says, Andrew, we no longer want you to be in this role. What happens? I don't have a crisis of role. I have a crisis of identity because my identity has been wrapped up with my role. So when we think of this whole idea of calling and what does God want us to do, make sure we understand it's identity first. Purpose flows from my identity and our role is carried out underneath our purpose. And then, as I said, fourthly, your commission. Your commission. Everything we've talked about to this point, I've shared, has happened or has been determined by God before time, before he laid the foundations of the earth, identity and purpose. And Paul says it in a different way with our role. That, uh, he thought of them in advance, which I believe in the context of Ephesians 1 is before the beginning of time as well. All of that has happened before time. The Godhead has decided a people for ourselves, reflecting our glory, who will be uniquely shaped to do it. Time begins, and there they are, Adam and Eve, standing in nakedness in front of their creator, who is just about to give them their commission. Here's the mandate. Here's what we want you to do now. Made in our image, children of us, for our glory, uniquely shaped to do it, would you now go, Genesis 1:28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. Now, the govern part, that's the work and the shaping of culture, huge. Not part of the fall, by the way, work, those of you who don't like your job, not part of the fall, part of what God intended his creation to do, to work with their life. But be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What is that saying? Well, I used to think growing up in Ireland that this was all about having lots of babies. And we were good at it, at least some of us. Not me, we just had two, so that was just, I think that's addition, not multiplication. But God was, I, I believe some of that is in their procreation, but I believe there's something more fundamental. And I believe this is what it is. God was saying, we have our desire as a people made in our image to, to be part of our family, to reflect our glory. We're gonna uniquely shape them so that they can do it with excellence in the world. Now would you go and make more of who we've made you to be and be so fruitful that you multiply and multiply so much that you fill the earth, fill the earth with people who are part of our family, reflecting our glory wherever they are through the unique ways we've made them. And Jesus said it differently, but the same thing in Matthew 28. He said, would you now go make more of who I've made you to be? Teach them all that I've taught you so they can be who you are and like you until every nation has people like you in it. 
And so here I see this idea in Genesis 1 and Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all nations or go and make more of who I've made you to be. This then is not something for a few hyper-spiritual or super-spiritual Christians. This is something, this was a commission given to every follower of Jesus to go and now do with all of their life, not with part of their life, to wrap their life around this incredible purpose that all nations should know him. All nations should experience his glory. All nations would know and be filled with people that would be in relationship with him because that's his desire, that's his plan. The end of the book tells us that's what will happen in the last day. And he has invited us into that plan. In fact, more than invited, he has made us for that plan. And whatever you are doing in life, whatever your vocation as you see it is, he has given you that so that you could do it for his glory. And that brings me to my last point. We have a choice, your choice, your identity, your purpose, your role, your commission, and your choice. And the choice is this. Paul puts it very succinctly in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't allow the messages of the world to influence who you are and why you are. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow the Word of God to help you understand who you are, why you are, and how you should be that. And Paul says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we start to let go of the messages of the world, and as we start to insert the Word of God into our life to allow us to understand who we are and why we are, he said something is going to happen. That as you walk out in that reality, something is going to happen. I used to think this verse meant that, that somehow if I could read the Bible enough and believe it enough, that somehow God would come and tell me what his will was. That at some mystical moment, I would understand it. But what Paul is saying here is that is not that, it's this here. That as you renew your mind, as you allow your mind to be transformed with truth from the word of God, and you start to walk it out, it says as you, you will be able to test and approve God's will. And what that means is as you start to test it, you will be able to say, wow, this works. This is good. This is perfect. This is pleasing. As you step into this idea of an identity that God has given you, a purpose that God has given you, and a role through the shape he has made you in, as you start to test it and go, I'm not so sure I know how to do this, but I'm going to start walking in it. I'm going to start testing it. I'm going to show up to work on Monday morning thinking my purpose is far greater than I've ever thought it was. I'm going to start to live that out for the glory of God, what I'm doing. I'm going to start to be, seek to be a witness for Jesus in my workplace. I'm going to test it and approve it. And as I, do, as I do it, as we do it, Paul says, you will see that it's good, that it's perfect, and it's pleasing. And so my question to you as I finish, and I know that this question is going to be asked again next Sunday, is what are you going to do with what you've just heard? For some of you, it, it is actually just starting and simply embracing who God says you are and living in the reality of your identity. For others, it's going to be repenting of the fact that you have made you your purpose and God only a part of it. And saying, God, I want you 
to be my life. And I pray for many it will be, you know what? I want to go be who God has made me to be. Somewhere in the world where he's not worshipped. We have job openings in countries all over the world. Like the, in the Middle East and Vietnam and Central Asia. For doctors, for nurses, for teachers, for consultants. For people to go and be who they are here. Only over there where no one will ever meet a Jesus follower unless they go. Oh, and you get paid for it, by the way. And when you show up at work on Monday morning, you've got a whole bunch of people that you can be light and salt with that have never tasted salt before, that have never seen light before. And I believe that as we start to do that, not only will Indianapolis start to change, but the nations of the world where Jesus is not known will start to see and hear of Jesus because someone showed up at work being Jesus to them. And so the model we must move forward with missions in the future is one that includes everyone and invites anyone who follows Jesus to go be that somewhere in the world where he's less known. And I pray that many of you will consider doing that as part of your purpose on the planet. Amen.